Okay, um, as Angela said, my name's Rebecca. Um, I'm a member of the church here, have been for longer than I care to imagine, well, o over 20 years. Also a member of staff and a member of the preaching team. And my uh, joy today is to continue this series that we've been on now for four weeks. This is the fifth week. And it's a series we've called Being the People of God in a Post-Christian Society. And uh, just to give you a quick introduction, hopefully some of you, or all of you, have heard at least some of this series, if not all of it. Um, but this is the reason we've chosen this section of Scripture, and this is the reason we've called it this. So Peter, the Apostle Peter, is writing a letter. Uh, so about 30 years or so after the death resurrection and ascension of Christ. Peter is one of the apostles, one of the, the tight group of Jesus' followers, and he's writing a letter to churches. And he's writing a letter to churches who are new churches. This is the beginning of the church of, of Christ, the beginning of the Christian church in history. And so, if you like, he's writing to Christians in a pre-Christian society. It's new. Um, the society is in some ways hostile and in some ways just difficult. Uh, and I think we can see as we've gone through this series some parallels for us being the people of God, the church, in a post-Christian society, which is what some might call our country, our context now. A context where we have embraced lots of Christian values, even built much of our society on Christian foundations. But now, the era that we live in, much of that seems to have been jettisoned, seems to have just been thrown away, really, uh, and actually, much of those things are called into question. And often, we even find hostility towards the church and the teachings of Christ in our society. And so there's loads of stuff we can learn. <coughs> I was encouraged earlier that Paul read from Acts 2 about the church being devoted to the apostles' teaching. Well, right here, right now, we're coming up on some of the apostles' teaching. This is the apostle Peter. He knew Christ. He walked with him. He was anointed by, by Jesus himself as an apostle, and here's some of the stuff he's got to say to the church. So listen up. And, and what I'm going to do is what we've been doing uh, throughout the series is read a large chunk of the letter, uh, the second half of the chapter that we're looking at. Some of it you'll recognize from last week. I'm going to read the whole second half, and then I'm going to home in on what we're doing today. Okay, we ready? <coughs> you can read it on the screen if you've got your glasses, or if your eyesight is good enough. So from, I'm reading from verse 13 of 1 Peter chapter 1. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and hope are in God. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. 
For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. So some of that we looked at last week with Philip, some we're going to look at today, and then next week Vic is going to finish off the series for us. So today we're looking at... (coughs) Sorry, I didn't move that on for you because I was reading the paper. Apologies. Today we're looking at uh, verses 17 to 21. I'm going to read it through again. And then we're just very simply going to work through it verse by verse and see what it's saying to us. So, since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. Okay, so as I say, verse by verse, verse 17. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time here in fear reverent fear, the the translator of this is the New International Version, has put the word reverent in there, really. The word is just fear. Live in fear, Peter says. And uh, I was thinking about this, and so far in the chapter that that we've been looking at over the last four or five weeks, there's been three imperatives or commands from Peter, really. The first one I came on is what Paul spoke on the second week, which was about hope. Do you remember that? that? Remember that? We've been born again to a living hope an inheritance that won't spoil or fade, kept for us, a living hope. We are called to live in hope, which is a great thing to focus on, isn't it? And I think the world around us, you know, we as the people of God say we live in hope, that's our calling. And maybe that's quite an attractive idea to the world around us, our post-Christian society. But the second command that Phil spoke about last week was to live in holiness, possibly not so popular in our culture today, to live in holiness. Philip talked about the verses preceding this where Peter says, as obedient children, don't conform to the way you used to be, but as God is holy, be holy in all you do or all your conduct. Be holy. So live in hope, live in holiness, and now we're being told to live in fear. And you may think, well, that sounds a bit, I'm a bit confused by that, that sounds unlikely from what you just said about living in hope but the apostle is saying it we're going to look at what he means by it why fear since you call on a father so because he's our father Peter is saying we should live in fear just look at some other verses from the scripture about fear blessed is the one who always trembles before God but whoever hardens their heart falls into trouble Isaiah says, this is the words of God here, these are the ones I look on with favour, those who are humble and contrite in spirit and who tremble at my word. Then the Apostle John in his uh, first letter in the New Testament writes these words, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. 
So first of all, I think the thing to say about this fear is not, Peter is not talking about fear of the judge in punishment. Okay, as John says here, fear has to do with punishment. So that kind of fear, we already heard from Paul earlier in the, in the series, when we are born again, we are born again to a living hope, an eternal inheritance that cannot perish, spoil or fade. We don't live in fear of the punishment of God. And, and as Leslie uh, said when she came out earlier, it's because we're in Christ. It's because we call him Father. It's because that you and I as believers, as the people of God, we are in Christ, the Bible says. And therefore we have nothing to fear from the, the uh, consequences of our sin. Jesus has dealt with that. Hallelujah. We don't fear that punishment. And, and the Apostle John also, in the Gospel of John, he says very simple words. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. If we are in Christ, we look forward to an eternal inheritance. But Peter says, doesn't he, he's, a, he's an impartial judge. And that word means, really, that um, there's no favoritism with God. God is not a father who sh picks out certain children and prefers them secretly or outwardly. There's no partiality is another word that the Bible uses for that. He doesn't, he doesn't care, in one sense, he doesn't care what, where you come from, who your family are, what your background is, what your job is. We often get sucked into this, don't we? When we look at people and think, well, they're a bit more important or they're cleverer or they've got a really impressive job, um, you know, that maybe they're sort of, they've got more chance than I have. God is not partial. Another literal translation of that, he's no respecter of persons, by which that means it doesn't matter. He doesn't have favourites. There's no favouritism, there's no special treatment. We're all children of God. But Peter says he's your father, and he's also the judge. So I'm just going to read this um, scripture from Hebrews, which I think will help us a little bit with this. The writer to the Hebrews says, Have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you. Because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined, and everyone in undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while, as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace by those who have been trained by it. I don't know what your um, memory of being disciplined by earthly parents is like. I was thinking about this earlier, and I had a... My father... <coughs> My father was a uh, lovely man. Unfortunately, he's been gone now some years, but he was a very lovely man. He was a good dad. Uh, he was very loving. He was very affectionate. He really wanted the best for his children. He wasn't a believer, so he didn't always necessarily know what that was, but he wanted us to thrive and he wanted us to succeed. But he also disciplined us, and I was thinking about this earlier, and I have this memory 
I was standing on the stairs of our house. I was quite young, I don't know how old, but it was in the, in the 70s. I was certainly under 10 years old. And I was standing on the stairs and I was shouting and my sister were having an argument and I swore at her. And I remember the feeling of utter dread <laughs> when I realised my dad was in earshot. I remember it so well to this day. It makes me go cold. And he came running and I unfortunately ran up the stairs, <laughs> which is not the way to get away from somebody. You know that, right? I ran up the stairs and he ran after me and he washed my mouth out with soap. And I remember it well to this day. He was a good dad and he cared about what I did. He cared about my conduct. He wanted the best for me. Now, any earthly human being, any, any earthly parent, any picture that we draw of God by looking at people is always a weak um, comparison. No one else is like God. Um, but I think it's just good for us to remember, and this is in fact what the writer to the Hebrews says, we expect discipline from our earthly parents. A good parent will do that. And our good, good father who loves us will also do that. Um, and that's an element maybe of what Peter is saying. Because he's your father, remember who he is and also live out your time here in reverent fear. If you tell people that around you, you know, God is a good father, he loves you, but he's a holy God and he's asking us to be holy like he is holy. He cares about what we do and he will sometimes discipline us. You will find, I think, that is not an, a, a very popular idea amongst our culture. And we must be careful, I think, as well. You know, our, the culture around us creeps, doesn't it? It seeps and drips into us sometimes. And there's a, I don't know if you've come across this, I certainly have in our society today, an indignation at the idea that someone else could tell someone how they should live. How can you tell someone else how they should live, what they should do? What's it got to do with you? How can God, how, what right does God have? And I think we need to be careful as the people of God, we don't live, we're not part of the world. As we've already heard, we're like foreigners, exiles, travellers through. We don't settle. And therefore, sometimes when those things seep into our thinking, even subconsciously, we just need to be clear. We are the people of God. And our society around us sometimes makes that hard. And sometimes it almost infiltrates our thinking. And another reason I think that Peter says, <coughs> live in fear, is just we move on to the next verse. Live in fear, for you know, because you know, that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. And words are not enough, are they? I read this, I'm just even reading it now, I'm thinking words are not enough. He says, but the price was the precious blood of Christ. And you can read that and we say, yes, we know that. But the words are not enough. Again and again it hits us, the cost, the cost. The thing that God had to do, the thing that our Father had to do to rescue us was to send his own son. You know it wasn't with perishable things. It wasn't silver or gold. And the image here, um, the word redeemed is a very similar word to ransom or, or to buy back with money. So this would be an image of buying back a slave, redeeming a slave using silver and gold. You could buy back a slave and give them their freedom. But we know it wasn't possible to buy our freedom with silver and gold. 
Your ransom is not a million dollars or ten million dollars or everybody you know and have ever known selling their houses and raising a, raising a billion dollars. Your ransom, that's not enough. And so your father has redeemed you with the most precious, precious thing by sending his son. And what's he redeemed us from? Peter says here, the empty way of life, or another translation says, futility, pointlessness, emptiness. And this letter was, would have been written to a church that was a mixture of Jews and Gentiles. And I suspect rather like some of us, you know, maybe the Jews would have heard this read out and thought, well, yeah, true of the Gentiles, true of these people who weren't included, who are not part of the special chosen people of God. I can see how they might have had an empty way of life handed down to them because they're not the chosen people, whereas we Jews, the people of Israel, always God's chosen favorite people. But no, what Peter is saying here is the human condition, all of humanity, what is handed down to us by our parents, good or bad. So my dad, as I say, I have a lot of respect and happy memories about my dad. But my way of life without God is futile. Anything handed down to me from parents, ancestors, as a human being, as part of the human race. Peter is saying, your situation was just hopeless. Emptiness, futility, pointlessness. If you're in the room here today and you don't know God as Father, you're not a believer, a follower of God, then that's what the Bible says to you today. As part of the human race, without God in your life, it, your life is futile. It's an empty way of life. But the good news is, the most, most precious price was paid. The eternal Son of God himself came and gave himself. And why does Peter talk about Christ being a lamb? It seems a bit strange. And for those of you not familiar with the language, it is a bit strange. But what Peter is saying here is he's... he's comparing Christ, as uh, many other writers in the scriptures do, with a sacrificial lamb, a sacrifice that is brought to God. And the lamb is without blemish or defect. It's a perfect, healthy, beautiful, white little lamb. And Christ, of course, is so much more. But this is the picture. And not only was a lamb brought as sacrifice, but the Son of God brought himself. He willingly gave himself. He laid himself down to spill his blood. That is the price of our redemption. Live in fear, for you know that you were bought with a high, high price. Don't treat lightly. I think Peter is saying, don't treat lightly <laughs> the cost. Sometimes we can be over-familiar with the things we know. And I think it's a challenge to us. It's a challenge to me. The most precious, extraordinary thing, the only thing that could redeem me from futility was the blood of the Son of God himself. Don't treat lightly. Don't be blasé about that wonderful, amazing, mind-blowing truth. And whoever your ancestors are, when you become a Christian, when you, when you call on God as Father, everything from before is changed. You have a new Father a new family. Paul's already alluded to the family of God. We are the people of God and together the Bible calls us family. We have a new father, a new family. We have new life. We heard about new hope and, and out of that comes new conduct. We're new people. We live differently from the world around us. And it's important to know new conduct, new behavior does not 
create new life. It does not happen that way round. You cannot be a bit better. You cannot try a bit harder and attain new life and new hope in God. No, you get a new family, a new father, new life, new hope. And in that then, as the people of God, you live as children of God. New behaviour, differentness. Like Philip challenged us last week. Be holy in all your conduct. Let's be honest about the struggles we have in life to do that and help one another in it. <coughs> Verse 20, I've got to move on. Sarah, I need help. He, Christ, was chosen, Peter says. I've put in brackets foreknown there. The, the word is translated differently in different versions, but this is saying that God the Father knew Christ as the Redeemer, as the perfect Lamb of God before the creation of the world. This is where our brains are not big enough. The eternal God, Father and Son and Holy Spirit, living together in all eternity and knowing one another. But more than that, Peter is saying, Christ is known through eternity as the one who will be the Redeemer, that sacrificial Lamb. But, and this is the most extraordinary and exciting thing, he has been revealed now in these last times, the Bible talks about um, this era of history from when Christ has come till the end. It's called the last times or the end days. And we are in those times. For our sake, for your sake, Peter says, Christ has been revealed. He's lived forever in all eternity and now he has come. He's been shown for our sake. Mind-blowing stuff. There's more. Through him, through Christ, you believe in God. Let's remember again. This is just the gospel package, isn't it? It's the whole good news story Peter is, is giving us here. Because of Christ, you can believe in God. In Christ, through Christ, you believe in God. And God raised him from dead, the death, death and glorified him. So Jesus himself, the eternal son of God, has come, has laid down his life, his blood being the only price that could redeem us from our empty way of life, life without God. But it didn't end there. God raised him from the dead. Christ is no longer dead. He is alive. A resurrected Christ is alive today. A, a man, a bodily resurrected Christ, is alive today with the Father. He is glorified. He's been given glory and honor. And because of this, today, my faith and hope are in God. Your faith and hope are in God. Because of that, because through Christ, that has happened. So if you call God Father today, and what Peter is saying when he says, if you call him Father, or since you call him Father, he's talking to people he knows do call him Father. They're believers. They've become children of God. Because you call him Father, him who judges everyone without favoritism, watching, knowing them, live in fear. You know the cost. You know the price that was paid for you. You know what Jesus has done. You know that the only way that today your faith and hope can be in God 
is through Christ, because of that story, because as some of us are so familiar with the gospel, what we call the gospel, the good news of Jesus. And uh, some of us, I think, get... Um, yeah, don't, don't, don't be distracted by that just yet. I'll come to that in a sec. Sometimes I think we can <coughs> kid ourselves a bit that um, because we know that we are in Christ and all of this is true, we are forgiven, we are loved by our Father, we are set free from the consequences of our sin, which the Bible says is death. The wages of sin is death. We're set free from that. There's no fear of punishment. We are in Christ and all of that is true. But sometimes I think we forget, therefore, that our loving Heavenly Father still cares passionately about what we're doing with our days, with our lives, with our thoughts, with our actions. He's holy. He says, be holy as I am holy. Now, I don't know if, if you've ever tried that. Some of you I know have. It's really hard. Okay, we are not, we are not at this point in, in our lives holy. But as Leslie said, the promise in the scripture is that by degrees... We're being changed. By degrees, we are being changed. And when you fail, when you sin, when I muck up, I need to keep short account with God. The Bible says if you confess your sins, he's faithful to forgive you and cleanse you over and over and over and over again. You, you are in Christ. We are in Christ. You know, we've talked about our God saves. And people in the room here recently have discovered that wonderful truth. But again and again, he picks us up, doesn't he? And he forgives us. And we repent and we turn again and we say, God, I'm going to leave that behind. That's not, that's not the way you want me to live. That's not fitting for the people of God, for a child of God. He cares what we do. He's not like one of those dads who just turns a blind eye. He's like, oh, I can't bother to deal with that. I'll just buy them sweets. He's, he's not like that. He's a good, good father who gives us everything we need, especially filling us with his spirit to enable us to keep coming again and saying, God, I want to be like you. God, I want to live like a child of you. And because we know the great price, let's not treat lightly that relationship, that wonderful honour of being children of God. The Apostle John says, how, how great is the love that's been lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that's what we are. We're not of this world we're children of God. Where is your faith and hope today? I'm going to just ask you that in a moment. Just, this is a helpful, I hope this is helpful. Just got to finish up. There's a paraphrase of this um, section, which comes from a New Testament commentary on 1 Peter. It just maybe puts it in slightly more modern language for us. After telling his readers to live holy lives and to fear God's discipline and displeasure if they disobey, for God redeemed them from sin at great cost. Peter concludes by reminding them that the God whom they are to fear as judge is also the God whom they trust as saviour. He planned their redemption in the councils of eternity. He sent forth his son for their sake. He is the one whom they even now depend on. He raised Christ from the dead and glorified him, and thus he is the one in whom they place all their trust and hope. The God whom Christians fear is also the God whom they trust forever. The God who has planned and done for them only good from all eternity. That's our Father. 
Can I ask you to stand? Time has run away with us a little bit. We're just going to stand and respond in prayer before we have to close. And I think as we just take a moment to, to stop and reflect and ask God to speak to us, ask the Holy Spirit to come and speak to every one of us. There's two particular things I just want to draw out. One is that I think we, there are people here and you know, we are, as a whole together need to recognise if we have despised God's discipline or if we have sometimes just got blasé or got in the habit of treating lightly the great price with which your redemption was bought, we need to come to God and say, help me, help me, Father. Fill me again with your spirit. Help me relate in the right way to you as loving Father and judge. And if today your hope and faith is not yet in God, if he is not, if you know you're not in the family of God, let me remind you that price has been paid. The price of redemption from, for all humanity has been paid by the blood of Christ. You today can put your faith and hope in him. So let's just, let's just take a moment to pray.